the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk A service of the Salem Media Group. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I really think that even a rabbi who has not accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior understands that the book of Esther is not an allegory. The book of Esther is not an illustration of the gospel. This rabbi correctly understands that it is God demonstrating how the Jewish people will survive, how Israel will survive. If you have ever visited another country or been the guest of someone from another culture, then you probably know what it's like to be nervous about getting the customs and etiquette right. It's sometimes very difficult to discern things such as when you should eat, how you should eat, whether you should talk, and when you should be quiet. I imagine Esther must have felt some of these pressures as she pondered how and when to tell the king her important concerns. We welcome you to today's broadcast of Verse by Verse, the radio teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff. Steve is the pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In this current series on the book of Esther, Pastor Steve has helped us to see the theme of this remarkable story, which is the fact that our God is in control of all things and that he can use anything and anyone to achieve his purposes. Let's join Steve now as he continues his study in Esther chapter 5. I want you to look at the last phrase of verse 14. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, or the way the authorized says, who knows, but uh, you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this, thou art come to the kingdom. It has become a very famous phrase In fact, there's a commentary called for such a time as this. We need to see what it means because I want you to know Mordecai is correct. She did come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In fact, there's no other reason why she came to the kingdom. But for this moment, this was her destiny. She didn't win the beauty contest by accident. There are no accidents in the Christian life. God providentially was at work. For such a time as this, Esther, you've come to the kingdom and you need to understand it. I want to take this phrase and challenge us. I want to challenge each one of you here, myself, because you're not in the city of Clearwater by accident. Do you know that? If you speak to people, they'll tell you incredible tales of how they came to Florida. I mean, incredible backgrounds of many people, at least how how you arrived in Clearwater. And I want you to know you're not in Clearwater by accident. And you say, ah, but I live in Dunedin. Well, you're not in Dunedin by accident either. (laughs) And you're not at Lakeside by accident. And you're not next door neighbors to someone by accident. And you're not at your jobs by accident. 
Who knows, but for such a time as this, God has brought you to those positions. I think this is tremendous because we need to realize that we've been placed in our positions for a definite purpose. You've been placed in your home for a definite purpose. You've been placed at your job for a definite purpose. God always has his man and his woman at the right place at the right time. Always. Not just Joseph. Not just Abraham. Not just Moses. Not just Esther. But you and me. This is an eternal truth. God brought all those Old Testament saints to the kingdom to accomplish his plan. He's brought you there also. It's interesting when I visit people and ask them how they came to be at Lakeside or or visit. You know, someday I could probably write a book. It's incredible. Well, so-and-so told so-and-so, and they told me, or others say, I had one person say, you know, I was late. I was late going to another church. And I couldn't find it, and it was getting late, so I figured I'd just turn into yours. Or someone will say, I didn't know what that meant. Community chat. What did it mean? And you know, who knows, but for such a time as this, thou art come to this place. You're not here by accident. It may appear to be an accident. You may say, well, it was very ordinary events that brought me here. Isn't that providence at work? Remember, providence uses the ordinary events of life. Providence doesn't use the miraculous. Providence uses the ordinary events at, at, of life. And the only question that we need to ask And we need to ask God, this is, Lord, what will you have me to do? What are you doing? What are you doing at Lakeside? Lakeside is not the kingdom, but we're just applying the principle. And certainly Pinellas County is not the kingdom, but you and I are a part of God's spiritual kingdom as he is building his church. What are you doing? Who knows, but for such a time as this, thou art come to this place. Why are you in this church? I believe God has a plan and a ministry for each one here. It may not be an official program, but it's an official ministry in terms of there's a need, meet it. What's God's purpose for you in bringing you here? I know it's not just to be a spectator, it's to be involved. Esther didn't know what was going on, quite frankly. She didn't know what was going on. But she's going to find out. And this is probably the first time in Esther's life that she has been confronted with this truth. So what does she do? What is she going to do? I just think that we need to be confronted with that truth too. Sometimes we move along in our Christian lives and we we need someone to just say, what are you doing? What are you doing for the kingdom of God's sake? You're not here by accident. You're here by, by divine sovereignty, by divine providence. What are you doing? And we have something that Esther didn't have. We have a personal relationship with the Lord God, and we have sensitivity to him, and we have a, the full revelation of God, and so we can delve into the word of God, and you need to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You've brought me to a place for this time. I, I don't believe that, that anyone in our church is here by accident. That's why it hurts to see people who don't get involved, because it hurts everybody else. Because God has a ministry for them, and if they're not ministering to others, then then we get hurt. Because we're not being ministered to. And if we don't minister to others, then they get hurt, because we're not ministering to them. Well, what is Esther going to do? She's faced with that question. She's faced with that dilemma. What is she going to do? If she goes uninvited to see the king, she might be killed. Strong possibility. If she refuses, God's judgment is going to strike her. It's what we would call today between a rock and a hard place. And so she says in verses 15 and 16, 
Then Esther told, told them to reply to Mordecai, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Once again, no mention of prayer, no mention of God, just fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Strong phrase. If I perish, I perish. In fact, there's another book written about that with that title. If I perish, I perish. She recognizes that this is her moment of destiny. This is the, is the reason for her existence in the sense of, of being elevated to this. And she courageously says, if I perish, then I perish. What more can I do? She's considered, in one sense, the promise of God to deliver his people one way or another. That's what Mordecai was saying. Deliverance will come. I don't know where, but it'll come. And she considered that. And then she's considered the justice of God that he will deal severely with her if she turns her back on her people. And she's also considered the providence of God. Perhaps all these amazing things have transpired because it's the plan of God to use her. And I don't know if she articulated this in her mind or verbalized, but all of this must have gone through her mind. And she says, if I perish, then I perish. Now, this is an incredibly courageous statement. There are few Christians who would say something like this. And some have concluded that her courage means that she is a righteous Jew. I don't think so. I don't think that you can conclude that at all. She was a great patriot, but that doesn't make her a righteous person. You know, there are many patriots. If you study the modern-day exploits of, of the Israelis, you will find incredible patriots. doesn't mean that they are uh, believers doesn't mean that they have a relationship with Christ. Let me give you an example of one. Her name was Golda Meir. You've heard of her. Golda Meir was born in, uh, in Russia, in Kiev, Russia. As a little girl came to the, to the city of Milwaukee. And by the way, I learned a few years ago that she was a relative of mine. Uh, don't ask me for my autograph. She didn't know me. I didn't know her. But she was a cousin of my grandmother. Golda Meir was a uh, great Zionist, she believed strongly in the return of her people to Israel. She went there as a young woman. In fact, I think she was a school teacher in Milwaukee, came to Israel in the 40s. And uh, after Ben-Gurion declared Israel as a nation, the Arab nations, and I think it was 1948, says we're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. We're going to push her back into the Mediterranean. And there was war that went on. The Israelis were being outnumbered. They were just a new nation, just born in their infancy. And all these Arab nations were crushing her. The United Nations stepped in, and there was a truce for a matter of weeks. Word went out to all of the nations or all of the people, primarily the United States, we must get money and supplies for Israel. And there was a woman by the name of Golda Meir who volunteered she went to the United States, and in a matter of weeks, she raised $5 million. Eventually, she raised a lot more than that, and it was that that turned the tide. Just a matter of those few weeks, and a woman risking her life for her nation, great patriot that Golda Meir was, she came back, 
She brought money. She brought ammunition. There, she brought the the uh, the warfare weapons that the United States would would give and would sell and so forth. That turned the tide in the nation of Israel, staying a nation. It's a nation today, partly because of God's providence in using that great patriot. Did that make her a believer? No. No, and that's our knowledge. Golda Meir was not a believer in the Messiah. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that she couldn't be a courageous woman. Great woman would give her life for her country. And she could say, as Esther said, and if I perish, I perish. But that doesn't mean that she's righteous. That doesn't mean that she has a relationship with Messiah. And so we read in verse 17, so Mordecai went out and did just as Esther had commanded him. Chapter 5 opens by saying, now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms, and the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And it happened when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came, she came near and touched the top of the scepter. You know, one of the greatest fears that Christians have, it's this. Can we trust God to work in other people's lives? Do you, do you struggle with that? I do. And I know better, but I struggle with that. We know that he has the power to change our hearts, but can he change my unsaved neighbor's heart? Can he work in an unsaved spouse's heart? Can he work in a child's heart? You see, can he work in an employer's heart? Can he work in a king's heart? See, the struggle is not can he work in my heart, in your heart. It's can we trust him to change the heart of somebody else? And the answer is absolutely yes. He can change anyone's heart. Great verse is Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. If you don't know this, you, you should, because it will give you great courage when you're facing a king or someone who looks to you like a king. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Just takes water, splashes it, turns it around. Does whatever he wants to. That's the way a king's heart is, as far as God is concerned. No problem as far as the Lord is concerned. And if God can change the heart of King Xerxes, he can change anyone's heart. So you don't need to struggle like that. And, and if you do struggle like that, go through the struggle and win it. Pharaoh's heart was controlled by God as he promoted Joseph to being prime minister. The king of Persia gave Nehemiah the desire of his heart to return to Jerusalem. Even a sinful response like Pharaoh was under God's control and God even hardened his heart. Pontius Pilate, as, as wicked a thing that he did, was still under the control of God. So God is in control of king's hearts. And he was in control of this king's heart. And so he extended to Esther the, royal, the golden scepter. She came near. She touched it. She would not die. Verse 3. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it will be given to you. By the way, uh, that is just an idiomatic expression. I don't think he literally meant... Get, you get half of the kingdom. It's just whatever you want. It's like, it's like I tell my wife, I love you so much, I'll swim, uh, what is it, Lake Okeechobee. I have no idea that I'm going to swim. Like, I mean, I'm not going. It's just an expression. You understand. Okay. 
Why are you snickering? Don't you think I would swim Lake Okeechobee? Well, anyway, the king says, even to half of the kingdom, it'll be given to you. And Esther said, if it please the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I prepared for, uh, for him. Then the king said, bring Haman here quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done to you. So Esther answered and said, my petition and my request is... If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I so shall prepare for him, for them tomorrow. I will do as the king says. You know, you look at that and you're like, what is going on here? This really seems puzzling at first. Esther invites the king and the prime minister to her banquet to ask the king something. And then at the banquet, she invites them to another banquet the next day to ask them something. You say, why don't you just get it out? You want to know the providence of God? I'll tell you the providence of God at work at Lakeside. Last Sunday, the parents of Beth Sparks were in our service. In fact, they're going to be back. They're not here tonight. They were missionaries in Iran for, I think, about 20 years. Iran is the modern-day name of Persia. And after the service... They came up and they were really excited about the message in the series because we went into the historical background and, and they were telling me some things about Khomeini and other things happening and how God is using that madman to get the gospel out. Incredible as that seems. God uses even, even a madman like that and that, and that now there's people who are, who are there who are witnessing and the church is going on and, and I think they were saying they know of about 400 believers in, in Iran. But they did something like Aquila and Priscilla did to Apollos. They took me aside and explained to me the way of the Lord more fully in connection with Esther. No commentary reveals why this took place. I have looked at uh, a number of commentaries this week, and uh, no one really deals with why she didn't come right out and say what she said. But I learned last week why she didn't, and I'm going to tell you. And this is what I learned from these missionaries. Persians never, even today, never come out and ask you for something. They never come right out and ask you for it. In fact, I was told folks, these folks knew a missionary who was about to go on furlough. And some of the Persians wanted, while he was on furlough, to use his refrigerator. So they invited these missionaries to their home. Not one night, but two nights. Two nights in a row. And on the second night... They finally got around to asking him if they could use his refrigerator. You see, Americans tend to be upfront. If we want something, we just ask it. We're very blunt, and we just ask what we want. Not so Persians. They don't do that. So when Esther was invited to uh, invited the king to her banquet, it was an indication that she wanted something. That's the way Persians do it. They invite you over, and that's saying, we uh, want to make a request of you. And when she invited him a second time... It was her way of saying, I really have an important request to ask. See, that's the whole thought here. That's why. It was her way of telling him, King, my husband, I have something that is crucial to ask you. And that's what the king understood. That was the culture of the Persians. Well, Haman was at this first banquet, and he was absolutely thrilled. It was on cloud nine. Verse nine says this. Then Haman went out that day and and... 
uh, it pleased his heart. He went out that day glad and pleased of heart. Sure, he was the only one of all the people invited. He went with the king to Esther. I mean, uh, he was just thrilled. And when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. The man's on cloud nine and he comes out and here's this Jew who refuses to bow down to him and Haman is not so happy anymore. You see, the man is on an ego trip. Of all the people in the kingdom, only he has been invited with the king to the, to the queen's banquet. But he still can't get respect from this one Jewish man. I mean, everybody else, everybody else, you know, trembles in his presence, but he is just so bitter. He can't get it off of his mind that here's one Jew who will not bow down to him. Verse 10, Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and the servants of the king. Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet, which he had prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited uh, by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's Gate. You can feel the tension these verses have. To relieve himself of his anger towards Mordecai, he gathers his friends and his family around and he begins to brag. You don't know who I had lunch with today? Guess who I had, am having dinner with tomorrow? I have everything. And when he says, he mentions his sons, what did he say, ten, ten sons, that, that's, that's a, a bragging thing. I mean, in the ancient world, the more sons you had, the better it was. So he's just bragging boasting of his accomplishments, but none of it satisfied him because of one Jew, Mordecai. He's bitter and he can't be satisfied while this dominates his life. So Zeresh is no better than him. This is his wife. And here's what she says in verse 14. Then Zeresh's wife and all his friends said to him, I mean, they come up with this solution. Have a gallows 50 cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet, and the advice pleased Haman, and so he had the gallows made. The solution, they said, look, Mordecai bothers you? Hang him. Get rid of him. Then you can go to the banquet in peace. Won't be on your mind. Nothing will bother you. Just get rid of him. Now, the gallows would be about 75 feet high. Uh, that is pretty high. And the reason it would be that high above the trees is that uh, they wanted everyone to see him hanging as an example. Probably he would not be hanging by the neck. He probably would have been pierced through with a stake or a post and just left there. Things have never looked worse for Israel. There's an edict to kill all the Jews which cannot be reversed. Esther has at this point not yet spoken to the king and made her request. The king doesn't know Mordecai has saved his life by telling them of the assassination plot. And now the gallows have been set for Mordecai in the morning. In the book of Esther, the suspense has reached its zenith. If you've ever heard Moody Keswick Radio, they used to have continued story reading. Maybe they still do. And the man would always say, right at the most suspenseful point, he would say, but I see our time is up. And that's what I have to say. But let me say this, just as we close. God in his providence uses people. Never believe for one moment that God doesn't accomplish things without you and without me. 
He's chosen to do that. He's chosen to use the simple and the foolish of this world to confound the wise. It is the greatest privilege that we have to be used of God. And the question is, how is God working through you? You may never save an empire. You may never save a church. But God just wants you to be faithful. And God just wants you to be available and to be open to let him use you. Who knows? But for such a time as this, thou art come to this county at this moment, this hour in history, and at this church to be used of God for his glory. Are you letting the Lord use you? Are you saying to the Lord, Lord, what will you have me do? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your hand of providence. We thank you that the book of Esther is not a mystery to us. We're so thrilled to see you working behind the scenes and through people, people who are even disobedient. Use us, Lord. For such a time as this, we are come to this kingdom. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Esther contains an intriguing story. Yet what makes it truly gripping is the fact that it is real history, not just an adventurous tale. And all of these potentially disastrous realities are about to converge in an amazing way as God orchestrates the events to achieve his plan and preserve his chosen nation, Israel. We want to remind you that if you have missed any part of this exciting series on Esther, you can still hear the broadcast online at our website, versebyverseradio, one word, dot O-R-G. Our previously aired programs are available when you click on the audio archive tab near the top of the page. We've Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.